Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? Welcome back to another episode of Audience First. Today, we don't have a special guest, but it's a very special day because we are back with a new round of episodes. You might be wondering, where the hell have you been, Danny? And I know that it's been a few months. But anyway, I've been doing some deep thinking and some self-assessment, some introspection. And it's for good reason, because for more than a year and a half now, since I've launched Audience First Podcast, we got, what, 55 episodes, hundreds of buyer and customer interviews, interviews with security practitioners, with marketers, with sales professionals. I realized that I have enough data to make some changes backed by evidence. These changes are for good. So definitely stay tuned for more of that. But on a high level, this season is going to be focused on more in-depth interviews, more roles to dissect, more people to meet, more problems to solve. This I'm dedicating this year to the year of specificity. We're going to go deeper. It's required. Now, before we kick off, any of the customer interviews in the next phase of uh, Audience First podcast and the episodes and the interviews, I really thought it critical to share with you all of my lessons that I've learned in this past year and a half doing deep customer research. There's a lot to unpack, so I'm going to be covering this in three parts, three different episodes. But the first part, today we're going to be covering mindset and methods with regards to customer research. The second part, we're going to be covering buyer insights, everything that I've uh, uncovered in the past year and a half, distilled. And the third part, we're going to talk about how to actually apply those insights to your organization. Now, part one today, why are we even covering uh, mindset and the methods, Danny? Come on, Danny, get straight to the point, right? Get straight to the juicy part. We want the insights. Hold your horses. There's a lot of work to be done, and the whole point of this podcast and my mission really is to get more people like you out of your comfort zone. I want you to get out of that warm and fuzzy echo chamber, the area where it's comfortable to stick behind your keyboard. I want you to get talking to customers. Today, I'm going to be giving you the cheat codes to do it right. And after dozens of lessons that I've learned relentlessly pursuing uh, qualitative customer research, in the security space, no one else is telling you about this. I wish someone told me all about this before I got started. Before we get started, I want to focus on six reasons why your mindset and why the methods are important to understand when it comes to customer research. This assessment that we're going to be going through and all these tips that you're going to be getting are going to help you stay aligned with everything that's shifting right now in, in the market, with shifting 
preferences of customers, with the dynamic nature of customers and buyers and people. What I've learned is that when you continually refine your your qualitative research methods, you can develop more effective strategies. I know for a fact. I've seen it firsthand. When you regularly assess and update your methods and your mindset, much of what I'm doing right now, you're better positioned to identify market trends, customer insights. You're better positioned to see things in a different light, which gives you definitely a competitive advantage. Evolving your approach to qualitative customer research. And again, I'm going to go back and I'll mention that I'm focusing on qualitative customer research, not quant. There's so many methods to to customer research, but because I like to talk to people, I focus on one-on-one interviews. I focus on the qualitative data, which to me is the juiciest part. So just wanted to put that out there before we we kick it off. But evolving your approach to, to research ensures that the decisions that you're making in the business are based on relevant data, right? Because like I said before, the behaviors, the needs, the challenges of buyers are changing, people change, markets shift, technologies change, the way people adopt technologies change. When you're prioritizing these continuous improvements in research, what you are doing by extension for yourself and for your organization is fostering a customer-centric culture. And the people and the organizations that are customer first, customer centric, and absolutely obsessed with their buyers are going to win. So my hope is that this episode is going to help you get comfortable with talking to people. And trust me when I say that is your competitive advantage. I hope, I really hope that this is going to guide you towards informed decision making and drive you towards a a customer first approach. So let's dig into some lessons learned that no one else is telling you about customer research. You ready? Lesson number one, let's type this out. Lesson number one, your strategies and the tactics don't need fixing quite yet. You might though. Here's what I mean. Before diving into the nuts and bolts of your actual strategy and the tactical optimization, you have to focus on your mindset change. I'm guilty of this. I've been so consumed for the past 15 years working as a BDB marketer in execution. We sometimes fail to stop and actually take a look at ourselves and understand on a deeper level what actually needs changing. As marketers, we have to address our own biases, the preconceptions, the way we perceive our customers, the way we do things, their needs, because we have to be open to learning. We have to be adaptable to change. And so why is this inner shift important? And why do I keep saying we need to flip the script? And it's not about the, the, the execution. It's about, what you, about you, about your, your mind, your brain. If we operate in this fixed mindset, or cling to outdated perceptions and outdated tactics, our strategies, no matter how well planned, are going to tank. They're going to miss the mark. So we really need to be in tune with our customers' current realities, their challenges, their expectations. And that requires that our attitude changes. It requires continuous learning. It requires willingness to question and evolve our own understanding. 
Once you've adjusted that mindset, then you can look at the strategies and the tactics and the execution, that outer shift that I keep kvetching about. Your customer interactions then become more meaningful, right? Your strategy is more relevant, then your execution more impactful. And that alignment between the mindset and the action ensures that you're not just getting, uh, you're not just reaching out to customers, but you're truly persuading them and convincing them because you've closed that gap, you've bridged that gap. Lesson number two, the reasons why you should talk to customers outweigh the reasons why you don't talk to customers. And I've heard every excuse in the book. I've made every excuse in the book. I don't know where to start. I feel like an imposter. Customer research is too expensive. I don't have time. But let's get real here, okay? Let's be real. Remember we talked about mindset shift? These are just barriers that we put up ourselves. Starting can be as simple as just striking up a conversation, an honest conversation on social media or sending out a quick survey. And that imposter syndrome, come on, we know our products inside out, or we should at least, I'll take that back. We should at least know our products inside out. As for cost, there are tons of cost-effective ways to get those golden nuggets of customer insight. And I get it, sticking to what we know feels safe and feels good and feels warm and feels fuzzy never leads to breakthroughs never leads to progress. So when you venture out of your comfort zone, that's really where the magic happens. And trust me, it's magical. Direct feedback from customers, hands down, can reveal so much more than the filtered feedback that you're getting on Salesforce or through another wall of perception from a, a, a customer-facing individual. You know, a bunch of reasons are holding us back from talking to our customers. The reasons to actually go ahead and do it are way more compelling. You just got to get out there. You got to start engaging and you have to use those insights to drive forward. Ditch the excuses and, and make the customer engagement a top priority. Trust me, it's worth it. Lesson number three. No one, no one will tell you what you need to know. That's on you. You are the accountable one. If you aren't clear, on what you need to know, you're going to risk conducting research that's misaligned with your own objectives. And that misalignment can lead to strategies that don't really resonate with your audience. It will waste time and resources, and it will potentially harm your uh, brand's reputation. Here's the proactive part, though. Start by thinking about what you need to achieve. Define your own goals. Is it increasing brand awareness? Is it understanding your position in the market? Is it increasing conversion rate? Is it understanding the you know, buyer's journey? Is it enhancing customer loyalty or breaking into a new segment or selling top down or bottom up? Figure it out. Once you have a clear understanding of your goals, then you can tailor your research object objectives to, to directly support those specific aims. I recommend not operating in a silo. And the success that I've had in this past year and a half working with other startups is having the conversation with them to understand what their goals are. If you're not certain about how to align your research with your own goals, if you don't even know what you need to know, go to your manager, talk to your CMO, talk to your CRO, talk to your CEO, the founder, because then they can offer guidance or they can provide an understanding of what they need to know, which is going to ensure that your own research 
efforts are in sync with the broader organizational objectives. It's your responsibility as a marketer to seek out that knowledge, understand it, apply it effectively. Your brand, your team, your customers are counting on you to make those informed and impactful decisions. So go on and take the reins. Don't hesitate. You have to be proactive. Steer your research in a direction that brings real value. All right, lesson number four. Don't let, this is a huge one, and we are jaded by this, by the way, in this industry, in B2B in general. Don't let unrealistic goals and metrics impede your ability to get out there and talk to people. Again, we talked about excuses. It, it's, this is so relevant in, in today's high-pressure industries, right? Like security, B2B spaces like uh, cloud and fintech, where targets and metrics can sometimes overshadow shadow the real point of marketing, which is connecting with people. I, I know I've been there, and this is why I shifted the way I'm functioning as a B2B marketer. Here's the thing. They hold you back from actually what truly matters, which is the, the genuine connections that you're making with customers. When you're so focused on hitting those numbers or achieving those unattainable standards because you want to, I, I think, appease investor profits, let's just, sit, let's just be real here, you're going to risk losing that human element in your marketing efforts. Those human connections, that's what drives the real business value. Now, we, again, we talked about mindset shift. When did 45, 55% growth become unacceptable? We have to shift mindset away from 2x, 3x, 5x towards more meaningful engagement, towards progress. And in practice, that means we have to get out there and engage with the customers, even if the conditions aren't exactly ideal or how you envisioned or maybe the survey isn't perfect or maybe you feel like you, you know you could use more data before starting the customer interview but waiting for the perfect condition and waiting for the perfect metric or the perfect result it's just not going to happen marketing is about people it's not about numbers so prioritize progress prioritize people and watch at as it doesn't only transform your marketing approach, but it also brings a deep, deeper sense of fulfillment to your work. Lesson uh, number five. Let's see, we're at number five. Huge one. And I've seen my fair share of snowflakes in this industry. My gosh. Being open to feedback and criticism is your key to success. I'm always surprised by how many people take customer feedback poorly. I, I really don't understand why it's often overlooked or, or worse avoided. I'm still trying to figure, figure that out. It's baffling, honestly, how some folks also react negatively to customer feedback. I, mean, I could tell you horror stories uh, on my end. But they take it personally as if it's like an attack rather than an opportunity for growth. Ah, opportunity for growth. This is what we're about. But Here's the truth, right? We need to embrace feedback. We need to embrace criticism, even if it stings a little bit. Feedback is inevitable, especially in the security industry. You're going to hear it right and left. We're surrounded by pessimistic, skeptical people who, you know, don't have 
a bone in the, their tongue and want to actually say what it is, right? It's not always going to be a pat on the back. And sometimes it's going to challenge your assumptions and it's going to question your strategies or you're going to get flaws pointed out that you might have missed. It's, it's not only beneficial, it's essential. So I, I urge you to actively seek out feedback. It's your compass. I mean, to me, that's my North Star. You've done the mindset shift. You're now open to constructive criticism. Now you can really align yourself to the customer needs. Now it's you're ready to enhance the effectiveness of your marketing efforts. Lesson six, let's see. Six, huge one. And this is, again, the theme of this season is, so when I started this journey of podcasting in, I started it while I was still working in-house as a director of demand gen for a threat intel company. We were focusing on hitting enterprises as a target for accounts and also targeting the, the CISO role. And so, you know, as you could tell in the first 55 episodes, the guests are largely CISOs. I don't think this was necessarily a flaw. I think this allowed me to learn things deeply, more deeply. But diversity of audiences and perspectives matter very much. So here's what I mean, and I want to talk about breadth first, right? Breadth is about looking beyond the usual suspects. In security, there's this assumption or notion, yes, we have to focus and learn about the CISO, but it's so critical to understand the concerns of IT professionals across the board. Not only the decision makers and those who hold the purse, which in Inevitably, inevitably is the CFO, but it's important to understand the technical decision makers, right? The end users and those who are impacted by security policies. Each group brings a unique perspective to the table. You're going to see more and more that CISOs are just saying, hey, I'm not going to evaluate this tool or solution. It's, it's up to my lieutenants, right? It's up to the boots on the ground. It's not up to me. If they like it, hey, hell, let's go with it. So you don't necessarily need to get to the CISO. That's a huge insight, by the way. I learned in, in the first 55 episodes. IT manager might be focused on the system integrations and users concerned about ease of use. CFO is concerned about, you know, cost benefit analysis. So when you broaden your scope of your research to include varied roles, you're going to get a more holistic view of the market. And it's super, super critical to see the whole for full picture. Now, depth, we're, we're also focusing this season on depth. It's not about who you're talking to, but how deep you're diving into the experience and the needs. And you could focus on understanding what tools they use, but what I love most about qualitative research is understanding why they use them, the challenges they face, and specific scenarios in which tools come into place, right? Vendors come into place or products come into place. The more angles that you cover, the clearer, clearer the picture becomes. Lesson number seven. There are several qualitative research methods that are super impactful beyond one-on-one customer interviews. I, I love customer interviews, so this is what I double down on. But you're, you might be surprised, though, that you're already equipped to conduct impactful research with the existing programs you're running. Again, I'm going back to mindset shift because you don't need agencies like Audience First. You don't need 
Gardner. Polarizing statement, unpopular statement. But you're able to leverage what you have already running tactically to extract valuable insights from those channels. Think about webinars that you're running, right? Those can be gold mines for customer research. You have a captive audience engaged in a topic related to your field. You have a platform to gather feedback. You have a platform to understand pain points. You have a platform to gauge audience interest on topics. You have a platform to run a post-webinar survey. You have a platform to do Q&A session. You have a platform that can already provide you direct insight into audience thought and needs in the chat. There you have it. It's just how you set it up. If you think about that channel as an opportunity to learn more and progress versus just spew out more bullshit and theory, enough said. There's your podcast. Everybody and their mother is hosting a podcast. It's an excellent opportunity for an organic, in-depth conversation with customers, with industry experts or pot leaders. Hey, look at audience first. This is, we use the, the podcast platform as an opportunity to do research. Obviously, they can reveal trends, challenges, opportunities, brutally honest insights like audience first. It gives you an opportunity to also look at the body language. And, and so you can really pay close attention to the questions also that listeners submit if you have a live podcast, because then they're going to often highlight uh, areas for concern. Social media listening, LinkedIn, for example, hugely powerful tool. You could use Twitter. You could use industry-specific forums to really see those real-time conversations uh, that are happening. And so I, I really think it's your duty to monitor those conversations and look into the, insight, in the, in the insights that are trending. What challenges are most pressing? What do people feel about various topics? CABs, customer advisory boards. A lot of you have customer advisory boards incredibly valuable. Those boards consist of real paying customers that can provide feedback on your products, your services, your offerings, your <laughs> differentiation or lack thereof in the market. And so the, those discussions, though, offer a little bit more strategic long-term guidance and growth for product development and marketing strategies. But the key point here is that you don't necessarily need to pursue traditional one-on-one -on -one interviews with an external agency or a service provider. You don't need me. You could do this by yourself. This is the whole point. This is why I'm evangelizing. Just get out there and do it yourself. The programs that you're running, those are rich sources of qualitative data. It's just how you communicate within those channels. It's what you glean from them, which is absolutely important. All right, lesson number eight. Huge one. Budget. And I tell this to my customers. Budget should never be the barrier to doing the right things. It's a common misconception uh, that you need substantial budget to truly understand and connect with your audience. Look, we throw hundreds, thousands, millions of dollars to Gartner, to Forrester. Look, they've built a huge business. Hats off to them. But let me tell you, it's not necessarily needed, in my opinion, unless you just want to be on the magic quadrant and, and exist as a brand, fine. You don't need, though, a massive budget or a perfect setting to engage effectively with your buyers. And 
here's how you can make it uh, happen practically and affordably. This is how I've done it. Start with your own team. Have an open conversation with your manager, your colleagues about their goals and, and the insights that they're gleaning. Have an internal dialogue with sales. Have an internal dialogue with customer success. Next, I, I urge you to target a specific customer segment that's most lucrative to the business or relevant, right? Your ICP, your ideal customer profile. Dive into their world. The best advice that I got was from my CMO back at Gardecor when he said, now you could spend one year just learning about your audience. And I, I did that. Literally, I did that. Stopped everything, dropped everything, quit my job, spent one year learning about my audience. And it was the one specific segment, the CISO. Followed their activity on LinkedIn. What are they posting about? What are their challenges and pain points? Don't just read their posts. Check out the comments. Huge. Check out the comments. See how they're engaging with other people who are asking questions. That can be incredibly insightful and revealing real-time concerns and trends. And obviously, don't overlook the resources like Gartner, Peer Insights, G2, TrustRadius. I, I do think those pr platforms provide a wealth of information for reviews and feedback. But just a word of caution, sometimes those, those are incentivized, right? It's pay for play, so use them sparingly. Let's break that notion, right, that effective customer research is gated behind big budgets. Lesson number nine, you don't need permission from your CMO or your boss to do customer research. Let me tell you a little story. It was about three years ago where I was just fed up with the fact that I was expected to 2x revenue marketing sort from marketing source pipeline, create campaigns, create story drivers, persuade buyers. But I knew precious little about my buyer. And so I went to the next best thing sales, customer success, but was denied access to customers, which was really frustrating because, hell, how do you succeed in attaining those aggressive goals when you know precious little about your customer? So yes, I did something bold, bold move, bit of a rogue move, but let me tell you what unfolded next. I, uh, by <laughs> I bypassed my CMO, took on uh, customer research all by myself, reached out to people that I wanted to get to know. I learned about them. And what happened next was actually pretty phenomenal. Getting all the insights from the people, uh, I, it really wasn't a large amount of people. It was maybe uh, eight to 10, something like that, if I recall correctly. It allowed me to optimize funnels on the website, not just random tweaks, right? Like inform changes based on real customer feedback and behaviors. Managed to line up new guests for podcasts, guests that resonated with our audience because I understood what they wanted to hear about. Gleaning those insights allowed me to validate and to refine our messaging and positioning, making it more in tune with the market. It, re it really didn't stop there. Like we, we busted out a new content calendar packed with great topics. It was huge because <laughs> as a demand marketer, having to create campaigns, I was like, we were dry on topics. I didn't even know what we were going to talk about. I was even able to refer, you know, buyers to the sales team for demos, which directly contributed to the sales pipeline. And that proactive approach, actually, it saved us so many marketing dollars, dollars that, that might have been invested and spent on campaigns that would not have hit the mark. Instead, we were investing in strategies that actually resonated. In less than three months, we, we did all that. It was huge. All that research we did in a short period of time 
the, those drastic changes were done in three, three months and the impact was, was crazy. Not only did it impact the, the business, but it really affected me as a marketer in a good way. Really, it empowered me. It made me excited about my job. It, it really fueled me to move forward and it broadened my perspective and deepened my understanding of actual human beings. I guess really my, my call to action here for you is, is, is don't wait around for any permission to dive into customer research. I wish someone told me and pushed me and nudged me to say, start now. Just It doesn't have to be perfect. Just start now. Start talking to people. All right. Lesson number 10. This might be an unpopular opinion, but customer research is not the job of the product marketer alone. Customer research is the responsibility of the entire organization. Every department plays a crucial role. Let's break this down. When you think about the, the initial stages of product development all the way through to delivery and, and post-sale of products or services, that research and those insights are going to inform your decisions at, at every stage. Ensuring what you're actually creating and delivering actually truly meets the needs of the customer. You can't be a customer-centric company if not every single department is understanding their customer. So when research of your buyer is spread across various departments, it aligns the entire organization's efforts towards delivering value to the customer. And I, I, the third reason is I'm, I'm going to talk about this. Really, this is the first reason, not the third reason. But there's something remarkable that happens when everyone engages in customer research. You start seeing, you start seeing empathy grow. By understanding customers, each team member can better relate on a deeper level to the people that they're dealing with, they're trying to sell to they're trying to service. That deeper understanding enhances the quality of life of people, uh, the quality of the interactions uh, that we have with the customers. And it builds trust. It builds credibility. It builds stronger relationships, which is required specifically more so than other industries in the security space. So I, I deeply believe that customer research is not a product marketer's role solely. I think every single person, uh, every single department is responsible for customer research, research at a certain level. It's a collaborative effort, right? And I also think that each department also needs to be able to share their insights widely, not just file it away somewhere or keep it to themselves. They should be living, breathing documents, guiding strategies, decisions across a, the company. My hope is that in, in security specifically, we see this spread across the DNA of different startups, right? Lesson number 11. We talked about budget. You don't need a lot of budget to do customer research, but you also don't need fancy tools to do customer research. Take me, for example, I don't have fancy tools. I have a very thin tech stack. We'll get into that shortly. But in reality, most powerful tools are readily accessible and cost-effective. And, and frankly, many of you are already using them on a day-to-day -day basis, if not free. So let's, I want to walk you through some of the tools that I use to elevate my, my customer research game on a tight budget. Yeah. 
I'm a solo company here. I don't have all the budget in the world. Before any of the tools to actually execute, like self-learning is huge. Self-assessment is huge. Growth is huge. So I like to learn. Staying informed is key. So I use, I, I read a lot. I, I learn from platforms like a CMA, Customer Marketing Alliance. I learn from CMA Soulmate, which is another newsletter. I learn from blogs and resources from User Interviews blog. I learn from Masterclass. I read books, order on Amazon, hard copies. Planning for customer research. Sometimes I use uh, Crunchbase. Sometimes I use Lucia, very rarely, but I'm a LinkedIn fiend. I'm on LinkedIn every single day, multiple times a day. And, and then I plan in Notion. I love Notion. More to come from Notion, by the way. I, I think that those specific tools can offer a lot of insight into trends, customer profiles, organizational data, account data, behavioral data uh, that can guide your research direction. For running customer interviews, what I do really is use Restream for the podcast. I use uh, Zoom sometimes. Uh, Google Meet is free, too, if you're using Google suite of products. There, there shouldn't be any barrier to getting a direct line to your customer. We're mostly remote these days. Communication, super easy to, to do that uh, remotely and digitally. Gathering buyer data is another, I wouldn't say issue, but it's another task, right? This is the crucial part. You could use tools like Google Sheets. You could use tools uh, that are more automated, like Userbit. Not necessary. I think Google Sheets does a good job for manual data entry and organization. I also think that Notion does a really good job with databases. Again, more on that later. We have some special things coming down the pike for audience first on Notion. Analyzing customer data is probably the hardest part of the whole customer research process when it comes to getting data, organizing it, distilling it, and applying it. Again, you can use Google Sheets. Userbit also comes in handy. Notion comes in handy, but I steer for I I steer more towards uh, Notion and Google Sheets. You're, you're able to easily analyze the data you've gather, gathered, spot the trends there, draw actionable insights. Acting on customer insights is also uh, relatively critical. But one thing that that I do is I use Notion or Google Sheets, but Notion to basically provide recommendations for myself. Write those down in Notion as a knowledge base article that apply to a specific database item. That's super helpful. And then super important, by the way, which I don't think a lot of people do very well, communicating customer insights, right? Again, it's not enough to just do the research and let it sit on the shelf. Sharing your, your findings is crucial. Tools like Slack, Google Slides, LinkedIn, Gmail, those are fantastic tools for disseminating um, the insights across your team but also directly to the, your customers, directly to the people that you actually interviewed. Again, you're, many of you are actually using these tools and they're readily accessible and they're very user-friendly. A tool is a tool, so it's not just about accessing them. It's about knowing how to leverage them effectively and consistently. So yeah, don't let, don't let tools be, be the barrier to actually doing uh, customer research. Lesson number 12 Big one here. Open-ended questions are your best friend. This is a mantra I swear by. Open-ended questions aren't your typical yes-no questions. When you ask those open-ended questions, what you're doing is essentially inviting your customers to share their thoughts, share their experiences, share their feelings in depth. 
if you take a listen at the previous audience first episodes, you'll find that majority of my questions are open-ended questions because I want to drill down into the experiences of of the guest. I want them to define what the story is. Instead of asking, do you like our product, right? Or do you like the industry? What do you like about the product? Or what do you hate about the industry? How has this product impacted the, the way you do things in your role as a CISO or as a security engineer? What you're trying to get at isn't surface level. You're trying to get as deep as possible. You're trying to get the, the motivation here, right? These questions are going to provide you the context to, to the challenges uh, customers face, right? To their decision-making process, to their perceptions about products, services, you, wh whatever, whatever you're trying to get at, right? Within the larger landscape of their lives and their experiences. So in your next customer interaction, right, figure out what your set of thoughtfully crafted open-ended questions are. And again, those questions should align with your goals. We talked about goals earlier. Those questions should align with your goals. That's your gateway to deeper understanding and, and connection with the customers. Lesson 13, also a big one with regards to the question. But when someone doesn't answer your question, or you don't feel satisfied with the depth of the answer, do not hesitate to ask again or probe deeper. It, don't just accept the answer and move on. I, I wish someone told me this because I've, yeah, I've accepted answers and moved on. And it's not about that. It's about gently digging deeper to get to the core of what you're looking for. Again, if you don't feel satisfied, don't move on. How you do this shouldn't come off as pushy or intrusive. What I found to be super helpful is reframe the question in a, di in a different way because maybe the customer didn't understand it the first way. Another approach is, is to ask for specific examples, right? If a customer says something like, your product has been helpful. Okay, great. Ask them to elaborate. Can you give me a specific instance where, you know, the product made a difference or didn't make a difference? Like real life examples, they often paint a much clearer picture and a much more detailed picture. So the goal obviously isn't to interrogate. You want to make the conversation feel super organic. You want to piece things together. Make sure everybody feels comfortable. You should feel comfortable in the environment you're in to, to make sure that you're able to probe, make people feel valued, and extract as much insight as possible from that customer interaction because you might not have that customer inter interaction in the future. Lesson number 14 and I believe this wholeheartedly, is that the most underrated skill is active listening. And this is not just listening, having something come in your ear and come out. It's funny because I've hosted a lot of interviews, right? A lot of podcast episodes. And in most of my podcast episodes, I rarely talk. I'm mostly, mostly asking questions. I rarely talk. It gives me the opportunity to actively listen and really hone in on what people are saying, to really fo fully concentrate on understanding the message on, on and then responding appropriately, because it's not just about hearing the words. It's really about processing and understanding the underlying message. Why is this so important, especially in security and especially for marketing and sales? This enhances beyond belief your communication skills. 
right? When you actively listen, you're not just waiting for your turn to speak, which my goodness, people need to stop waiting for their turn to speak. But what you're doing is you're truly engaging with the speaker. And that leads to more meaningful, productive conversations. And again, we talked about building relationship capital. This is what it's about. This is going to help you build relationship capital on top of doing the research. A huge benefit to this also, which shouldn't be overlooked, is that active listening actually reduces misunderstanding and conflicts. And boy, have I seen misunderstanding and conflicts in this space. This is the most common occurrence in the interactions between buyers and vendors. Misunderstandings, unfortunately, lead to lost opportunities and, and brand reputation being lost. But that active listening is going to help clarify and address those issues more effectively. Lesson 15. I learned this running focus groups at RSA, at Black Hat, at different AWS events. Reading the room is critical and nonverbal language will yield phenomenal answers. You don't need to hear, mostly you don't need to hear what people are saying sometimes. Those cues can tell you more than words can sometimes alone. It's so powerful. A customer may say they're satisfied with your message, your position or, or your pitch or your product, but they're Maybe their lack of eye contact or their body position or, or their closed body language might, might tell you differently. And so when you're doing customer research, especially in face-to-face -face interactions or in video calls or in podcasts, whatever, pay attention to those nonverbal uh, signals. It, it, it's absolutely, absolutely critical. Are they leaning in with interest? Are they looking away? Are they disengaged? Do their facial expressions match their words? Being able to really hone in on those observations can give you insights into their true feelings and, and thoughts and sometimes can steer the conversation. Like if you see someone is uncomfortable, all right, shift the conversation. You don't want your customers to feel and your buyers to feel uncomfortable. The way you present yourself, your gestures, your expressions can hugely impact the way other people feel and the flow of the conversation. I always try to put on a smile and be super relaxed when I do, and confident when I'm talking to to folks and and customers. And I think that's important when you put it into context, especially when dealing with security buyers, who are technical, who we're talking about sometimes vulnerable issues. We're talking about complex issues, and so being attuned to the the cues, the nonverbal cues, is even more crucial. So the next time you're in a meeting or in an interview or in a podcast episode or a webinar, think about that, right? Remember to pay as much attention to what isn't being said as to what is, right? That, those nuances of body language and, and nonverbal communication can be door openers to deeper understanding and more meaningful connections. And now, as I'm recording this episode of Audience First, I'm like looking at myself, am I laxed? Am I not? Am I... I should probably stop being so critical of myself. All right, let's move on. Lesson 16, your research is useless if it sits on the shelf and collects dust. I repeat, it is useless if it sits on the shelf and collects dust. It is a harsh truth, but it's an essential one to tell you because this isn't just an exercise. It's not just... For shits and giggles, we're here to actually 
fix things. And we're here to fix things based off of evidence, right? You've put hours into talking to people. You've conducted interviews. You've sent out surveys. You've analyzed data. And then what? All that rich, valuable information just get, gets filed away. It's forgotten. It's not shared. It's a nice little placeholder on the shelf. All that is as good as not having done it at all. Once you have all the research, once you have all the data, it's time to get the work done. It's time to distill the data. It's time to figure out how to put those insights into action. It has to be, customer research has to be living. It has to be a breathing part of your strategy. It has to inform the decisions. It has to shape your campaigns, guide your product development. Sometimes even the most profound changes, the biggest, most impactful changes come from the smallest insights. What a shame it is to miss out on such impactful change because you left it on the shelf, right? Put it to work. Even if it means you look you look at it a few months later, put it to work. And this is to my customers out there. If you haven't yet used the research report, look at it. I'm looking to you to look at that those reports that we've created for you. Dust off those insights. Turn them into real impactful actions. All right, last one, 17, last lesson. There are much more, but we only have so much time in the day. Customer research is not one and done. Th this is a continuous ongoing process, as we talked about earlier, right? This is not about conducting a single survey. It's not about one round of interviews, calling it a day. What you learned six months ago might not be entirely relevant today. It's not a destination. It's about constantly engaging with your buyers, with your, with your audience. It's about consistently seeking their feedback. What I do is regularly check in with my customers. I talk to them on a regular basis. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, would love a little bit of a check-in here. What are you thinking there? Love to validate this there. It helps you maintain those strong relationships with the people that you care about. And it shows that you value their input. Uh, a differentiator as a marketer yourself is integrating customer research as a program in your efforts, whether that's regular looking at regularly at data and analytics, whether it's a once a month call, once a week call with a customer, whether it's doing OSINT and, and listening online, make that part of your daily, weekly, monthly, yearly habit and assess that data, distill that data. Remember the, the goal that you're trying to reach. Not just Don't make it just an item on the to-do list. My hope is that all of you will embrace this continuous journey with me. Let's keep our fingers on the pulse of our customer needs and preferences. Let's keep on progressing and growing here. Just to wrap it up here, we've gone through quite a bit. If there's one thing that I've learned as a marketer in this industry and diving deep into cybersecurity customer research is that industries and markets change. We're seeing it. Technologies change. We're seeing it. People change. We're seeing it. And you change. I've seen it. Don't waste precious resources and time aiming for perfect. Start small. Scale it. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Because if you spent half as many hours asking your customers how you could do, do better as you did thinking about how you could do better. 
you and all of us would be in an exponentially better spot. Don't you think? Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.